So I hate surprises. I, I, I don't like being unprepared. I don't like being caught off guard. So if you're planning a surprise birthday party for me right now, can I tell you that it's not gonna go well? Don't do it. Tell me in advance. If you want it to be a surprise to you, you can have it, but it's not gonna be a surprise to me. Just giving you a forewarning. I don't think anybody likes surprises. I don't think people enjoy them at all. You know, you're a student and you go into class, the teacher says, close your books, a pop quiz. Do you like that? Who likes that? Nobody likes that. Or have you been to a dermatologist? Have you been to a dermatologist? You go in for a routine dermatological exam. And they're like, well, this is just normal routine. We're just going to check you out. And then you hear the words at the end of the exam. Well, we've got to freeze this off of you before you leave. Do you like that? I mean, if you're going to freeze something off me, can you tell me to give, give me a couple weeks' notice? I don't really like that. Or, my goodness, you, your office, you go into work and somebody tells you, you know, you got to change your office, you got to get a new supervisor, you got a new territory, all that kind of stuff. Nobody likes that stuff at all. Don't surprise me. I don't want something new coming at me. I learned uh, this week how much I hate a part of my house. You know, you'll know what I mean in a second. Like, if you're in an apartment or a house and you have a doorbell, don't you hate the doorbell? Because if I wanted you to come over, I would have invited you to come over. I would know you're coming in advance, and I would be looking for you to come, and I would leave the door open. But no, you come and ring the doorbell, and then you have suitcases in your family, and I'm like, why are you here? Go away. I don't want you. Right? Nobody likes doorbells anymore, right? Who likes to be surprised? I don't want to be surprised. I want to know what's going on. If I know there's a test, I can prepare for it. If I know you're coming over, I can get things ready. If I know there's going to be a major freezing something off of me, I want to know in advance to get ready. I think that's normal for humans to want to know. And in our relationship with God, I don't think we like surprises. So we might want God to speak to us. We want God to illuminate a path for us. We want him to know what's going on in our lives. But if, like, if you're a landscaper and you're just building a wall one day and God just shows up right there, you don't want that to happen. There's just something about him showing up while you're building a wall that you go, no, I don't want this. I don't want to be surprised by God. Um, I see it in the Bible. So every time God sends one of his messengers into the world, an angel, and the angel just shows up to a person, what happens? People are scared. They get upset. They fall on the ground. Nobody likes to be surprised by God, and he knows that about us. He gets that he would overwhelm us if he surprised us too often. And that's why he sends his son the eternal second person of the Godhead shows up in flesh and blood, moves into the neighborhood with us, and he comes into our world and just invites us to follow him. That's what Jesus keeps saying, just follow me, just follow me, just follow me. And what he does is he gives just the right amount of grace, just the right amount of truth for each person, specifically where you are in your journey. It's like he knows what you can chew, like a parent with their child that cuts up the food the exact size that can be digested by the child. God knows precisely through the person of Christ the exact amount of grace and truth to dispense to you so that when you follow him, he 
gives these little bite-sized amounts of grace and truth for you to continue to follow him. Because it doesn't seem like for most people, one day you're not following Jesus, the next day you are following Jesus. It's much more like a process. It's a journey where you begin to follow in many ways like a sunrise. Have you seen the sunrise? I mean, the sun kind of rises and it happens slowly, right? You could time lapse it and see it happen fast, but in reality, it just starts to come up and there's a little bit of darkness and the, the light just starts to rise. And the more light and the more light and the more light, you can see things more clearly and more clearly and more clearly. For many of us, we get to a point in our lives where we're surrounded by darkness. And we communicate that somehow to someone we know. And we say, I'm just feeling lousy and life isn't going my way and I'm not sure where to turn. And they say, hey, I got a guy for you. I know a guy named Jesus. Let me introduce you to my guy. And it's like a sunrise. See, if you see Jesus off in the distance and you just see the little bit of light he offers and you begin to follow him, more light starts to come up and more light starts to come up to the point where one day you might find you see Jesus clearly and you believe in him and you want to follow him and trust him. It's this journey this process where God is so patient with us. And maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, maybe for a lot of years. But you don't, you don't when you're following Jesus, you don't just like one day you're not generous, you're stingy, you're a miser, you keep everything for yourself, and the next day you're generous. It doesn't usually work that way. It's God leads you in a process where you realize you're an incredible Scrooge and everything is about you, and you realize you never give anything away and you hoard everything for yourself, and you realize God over time is so generous and he guides you into what it means for you to become generous, and you start to follow him and obey him and change begins to happen. It's almost always a process. And that's what John is going to talk to us about today in the Gospel of John chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, John chapter 1, electronic or paper, John chapter 1, we're in this series called Follow Me. We're looking at the life of Christ, and this is just the beginning. So we're in John chapter 1, verse 19. And I just love these early moments before Jesus even comes on the scene, before he ever speaks a word, before he ever preaches a sermon, before he ever does a miracle. God sends someone in advance of Jesus because he knows that people don't like surprises. Someone in advance of Jesus to prepare the way. And we started to talk about this guy last week. We're going to look at verse 19 and following, but just a little bit of a review. In verse 6, we're, in, we're introduced to this guy. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. We talked about him a little bit last week. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. John the Baptist himself was not the light he came only as a witness to the light. So this guy John is, is going to be a sunrise, and he's the guy that's going to say, hey, there's about to be a sunrise. He's sent to get people ready. And this guy, John the Baptist, we, we, we need to just pause for a moment before we continue to read what John writes about him to just get a little bit of a snapshot of who he is. So if you read Matthew chapter 3 and Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 3, you get this biography of a guy named John who's really unique. His mom and dad were old and couldn't have children, 
And God said, I'm going to give you a son. And he's going to have a very unique job description. His job description, this unique child, is going to be the one to prepare the way for me to come, to get people ready so that there's no surprises. And John had this really interesting upbringing. He grew up out in the wild, and he wore wild clothes, camel hair, and he had a wild diet. He ate bugs and honey, which I think is a new diet that some of you are going to start using to lose weight. That's not going to work. But, you know, at the end of the day, bugs and honey, wild guy, different, and the reason he's so different is important. It's because he's come for a different purpose, to be the one that points people to this Messiah, this Jesus, pointing people to him. This guy's going to come, and he's going to change everything. And so at some point, I don't know how this all works, God says to this guy, John the Baptist, it's time. Your time has come. Go and start telling people about the kingdom of God. And John goes out to a section of community, out into a river area, and says, to the world, and he starts shouting out, repent, the kingdom of God is near. He preaches a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It's his way of saying to the world, get ready, get ready, get ready. Someone's going to come. The sun is going to rise. Something great is going to happen. Get ready. And people go running out because there's this wild dude yelling wild things out in the wild, and they're like, okay, what's going on? And they go listen to him. And the way John talks it makes it clear to people. It awakens something in people where they're like, we want God. We want the kingdom. We want our light to come and darkness to be pushed away. So they go into the waters and they're baptized by John. And this is a really big spectacle. Lots going on. I want change. I want the kingdom of God. People flock out there. So try to picture a guy in the Lehigh River dressed wild yelling about God, and everybody in the valley wants to go and see what this guy is like and what he's talking about, and the people that go are listening, and they want change, and they're willing to be baptized because they're ready for God's kingdom to come, and that's what's going on, and it's causing quite a stir, and that prepares us for John 1 verse 19. Look there. Now, this was John's testimony, John the Baptist, when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. John the Baptist did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I'm not the Messiah, they asked him. Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, well, then who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John the Baptist replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize you with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He's the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. He's causing quite a stir. He's talking about the kingdom of God. He's calling people to make a decision, to change, to get ready. And you know, anytime something unusual happens, especially in the spiritual realm or in the land of religion, anytime something obscure, different happens, the God squad always shows up. 
right? There's always very religious people. The God Squad shows up to inspect. Now, what is happening here, right? And so there's these group of people that come out of Jerusalem, and they come to where John's doing all this stuff, and they're like, hey, who are you? Are you the Messiah? John's like, nope. Who are you? Are you Elijah? Nope. Are you the prophet? Nope. Well, then who are you? I mean, what gives you the right, the authority to be preaching and baptizing people? Why do you get that right? Where does it come from? I mean, these were logical questions for them to ask. Are you the Messiah? Are you the Elijah? Are you prophet? Because these things, these people were promised to come. And they're like, who are you? And John's like, I am not any of those people. I am the one, and he quotes from Isaiah the prophet. He says, I am the one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And further in Isaiah 40, the prophecy says, he's the one that's making straight a desert, in the desert, a highway for our God, that every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places will become a plain. John is this guy that's been raised up uniquely by God, to prepare the way for the king to come. Because in the old days, if you knew a king was coming, riding in on a horse, you would clean up, get rid of the garbage, fill in the holes so that the king could ride in and there would be nothing that would hinder him from coming. If you knew the king was coming, you got ready, you prepared. And John is saying, a king has come, the Messiah, the Savior, the sun is about to rise. Prepare the way. Someone great. This guy is so great, John says, that I don't even, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. This guy is coming. And he's baptizing people. People are trying to figure out who he is. And then verse 29 says, the next day, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself didn't know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on Jesus. And I myself didn't know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who, you will, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I have testified that this is God's chosen one. And this is John's role, unique guy, to point people to the Messiah. And up to this point, it wasn't clear who Jesus was, that he was the Son of God who had come to be the Messiah. John, and if you read the rest of the Gospel accounts, you find out that Jesus himself walked off the banks of the shores into the river to be baptized by John the Baptist. And the Spirit came down and God made it clear to John the Baptist, this one is the Messiah, the promised one who is going to change everything. And now it's another day. And John sees Jesus walking along the banks and says, look, there's the Lamb of God. I mean, what a crazy title to give him. 
Why doesn't he say, look, there's a superhero. Look, there's a strong man. There's the rescuer. There's the one. He calls them the Lamb of God. I mean, that's kind of a lame thing to say, isn't it? Like, why would you call him the Lamb of God? What does that mean? That doesn't excite me. You see, for the Jewish people that were listening, they would hear Lamb of God, and it would immediately make them think of something that it doesn't make us think. You see, these Jewish people who Jesus came to first, they were in slavery for 400 years, and they begged God to save them, to rescue them. And God said, you've been in slavery for 400 years. I will rescue you, but I'm going to ask you to do something that may, may sound a little crazy. I'm going to ask you to kill a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and wipe it on the doorposts of your house. And here's why I want you to do that. I want to know who actually believes, who actually trusts, who actually sees me as God that's willing to follow me. And I will know if you do this that you trust me, that you believe me, and I will rescue you. And so people do it. They, they put blood on their doorposts, and God shows up and rescues them powerfully. And the Jewish people have an annual holiday. It's called Passover, which remembers that day. It's kind of like their Independence Day, their July 4th, where they were freed from slavery because they followed God and He rescued them powerfully. So when John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, they would immediately think of Passover. They would immediately think of being rescued through the blood of a Lamb by God Himself. And now John is saying, the light who existed for all time, who made the world, came into the world, and the world was full of darkness. The Son of God moved into our neighborhood, but here's what's so unique about this Son. The way He's going to rescue the world is by dying. He's a lamb sent to take away the sins of the world. He's going to rescue us and grant us a new life and freedom and joy by being a Passover lamb that dies, which totally foreshadows what we know in the rest of the Gospels, that Jesus is going to spread out his hands one day and be nailed to a cross. The kind of superhero he will be is the superhero that sheds his blood and dies on a cross. Now, honestly, to my ears, death and blood I mean, it's all weird, doesn't it? Like, don't you hear blood, blood, death, nailed to a cross? Isn't there a part of you that's freaked out by that a little bit and goes, this is weird stuff. Why do we have to talk about blood? Because it's what the Bible teaches. Hebrews 9 says this, so important. It says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. God's words, that all people need forgiveness but without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Wait, you're saying, God, that blood has to be shed? That sounds, again, kind of gross. And the only way I can understand it in our modern culture where we don't really talk blood and see blood is to think about how when we love someone, we're willing to die for them. I'll say to my wife, listen, dear, I'll take a bullet for you. I love you so much. I'll die for you. Or to think of a soldier, someone who went to war, that they love their country and their freedom so much that they're willing to put their life on the line for someone and something they love. You see, when you love someone so dearly, 
you're willing to shed blood to protect them, to buy their freedom, to make sure they're not harmed. So when John says, look, the Lamb of God who will shed blood to see sins forgiven, he's making a statement about the love of God towards sinful people like you and like me, that God would so love you that he would spread out his hands and be nailed to a cross and drop real blood and die, that we might be free and live. And again, I go, really? Like, is the problem I have with sin really that bad that blood has to be shed? It's kind of gory. It's kind of gross. It seems like that's too high of a cost. And the reason it feels like that to us is because we don't like that three-letter word, three word sin. I mean, we don't want to talk about sin in our culture. We don't want to deal with sin in our culture. We want to make excuses for sin. We want to call it a mistake and oops, uh, oh, I screwed up, I messed up. Oh, I just cheated on my wife a little bit. I just cursed a little bit. I'm not so bad. I only stole a little bit. I only a little bit. And we try to make excuses and make ourselves feel better that we only made an oops when God calls my rebellion and my mistakes and my decisions. He gives it one word, sin, and says that this is a big deal, sin. It's a really big deal. I'll best explain it this way. He's the king of the universe. He made all things and holds all things together, but Joe thinks he's the king. I think I'm the king over my time, the king over my money, the king over my feelings, the king over my family, the king over my job, the king over my talents, the king over my sexuality. I am the king over all my life and stuff. And God calls that rebellion from the true king. And he calls it trespassing against the real king. And he gives it the name sin. And he says for that sin to be cleaned up, blood must be spilt. That's how serious sin is. That's how deep and wide And that's how much he loves us to say there's only one person who could pay that price. The eternal Son of God who put on skin and walked among us came from the Father full of grace and truth to put on to display to us absolute perfection and bore in himself all the sin of every human body, the person that ever walked the face of the earth. He absorbed the penalty on his own shoulders. He stepped in front of the train for you. He took the bullet for me. He loved us that much. It's incredible. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead to give us life and freedom from all of this junk that we've done ourselves, all the different ways we've fallen short. He gives us freedom from all of that. And no one likes surprises. So before Jesus ever opens up his mouth, before he ever teaches a sermon or heals a person, He takes the invisible thoughts of God, all that he's going to do before he ever shows up, John the Baptist calls out and says, get ready, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is going to enter time and space. Follow him. Look at him. 
leaves me with the question, what's it going to take for you and me to be ready for Jesus? I, I don't know where you are in your journey, where you're thinking, what you're feeling, what, what chaos you experience, what you're searching. Where are you in your journey? I don't know, but what's it going to take for you and me to be ready for Jesus so that we're not surprised? Because here's what I know. I'm not following Jesus one day, and I start following the, him the next isn't typical. There's a journey. I'm not obeying Jesus one day, and the next day I am obeying Jesus. There's a journey. What's it going to take for you to take Jesus seriously, to think about him, process, seek after him? I know for me what helps me to be ready for Jesus is to know his character. So Jesus is gentle and patient. This is so important to know. So that I'm not surprised by him, his character is that he is gentle and patient. Here's where I get that from in this text. You know, John could have said, look, the Lion of God who takes away the sins of the world. He could have had Morgan Freeman come and go, look, the bear of God that takes away the sins of the world. But he doesn't. He says, look, the Lamb of God. Are you afraid of a lamb? Like when you go camping with your family, do you go, guys, make sure you stay inside the tent because the lamb might come out of the woods and attack you and maul you. Like, do you ever get afraid and run away from a lamb? Why would you ever run away from Jesus? He is so gentle and patient with us. This is his character, that he's described as a lamb, gentle, patient, slow to anger, abounding in love. I mean, even John the Baptist in this passage, if you look at verses 31 and 33, I mean, John the Baptist has this unique calling before God. He has this special birth and unique ministry. But if you look at verses 31 and 33, John the Baptist, who was tuned into God in an incredible way, needed to learn over time who Jesus was. He didn't get it right away. It took a process, a journey for John the Baptist to see Jesus and recognize him and understand it. You see, God knows that understanding who Jesus is is hard. It takes process. It takes time. He understands that we don't like surprises, so he's patient with us and gentle with us. So if you're going to be ready for Jesus, understand his character. But here's the things that help you and your character if you want to be ready for Jesus, stay humble, be flexible, and just keep following. Again, he's like a sunrise. Whether you've been following him for weeks or following him for decades, he's like a sunrise that he's leading us by coming a little bit more light and a little bit more light and showing us a little bit more so that we continue to follow. If you've just started a journey with Jesus, stay humble not proud, be flexible, willing to see and learn and grow. If you've been following him for decades, he wants you to obey him more. He wants you to love him more. He wants to grow you more. But the moment you think you've learned everything you need, then the moment you think you love him enough, you've obeyed him enough, is the moment you're going to miss seeing the sunrise that's new every day. He wants to give you more, guide you more, lead you into more. But if you stay humble and flexible and just keep following, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, will give you doses of grace and truth in just the right amount to lead you. In many ways, He like drops bread in front of us. 
And he wants to know who's going to be hungry to pick it up and follow, pick it up and grow, pick it up and obey. But the moment you go, I don't need that. I know enough. I'm smart enough. Love this quote I've shared with you before by Barnhouse. It drives me. It says, Barnhouse says, Christ sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. If you're full of yourself today, if you're proud and rigid like the God Squad from this passage, where Jesus has to fit into this perfect little box for you, like he's going to go into a box for you. But if you stay humble, if you're hungry, if you want to grow and learn, you'll be surprised how much he just doesn't surprise you, but gently leads you, guides you, encourages you. He's patient with you. But if you want to reject him today, If you want to stiff-arm God, you can. Nobody likes surprises, but those who stiff-arm God and reject God, there will be a day you will be surprised by Him. There will be a day you will take your final breath and you will stand before Almighty God and you will have to answer for your life. There will be a day that Jesus returns to judge the world and make all things right. You don't have to be surprised by that. You don't have to be afraid of that. With whatever you know, whatever light you have, stay humble. Don't get rigid. Keep following and watch how he leads you and grows you and changes you. He is so gentle and so kind. Pray with me. When you look at the people of planet Earth, God, you see the incredible potential and design that you embedded into us, created in your image. You also see our sin, and it doesn't freak you out. You love us too much to throw us away. You send your Son, Jesus, to absorb the payment of sin on his own shoulders to provide a way for broken people, sinful people, to come back into your presence and know new life. I'm so grateful, God, that you don't shout commands from the heavens, that you didn't come to demand or dominate us, but you sent Jesus gentle and patient to invite us to follow. I'm so grateful today that you cut our food up in just the right size so that we can chew it, learn, grow, and change. So keep us humble. Help us to resist the danger of getting rigid. Help us stay humble and be willing to just follow the light we have, knowing You get us. You understand us. You love us. Infuse our hearts with the right amount of peace and the right amount of grace and the right amount of truth to keep following you today. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.